you need as many irons in the fire as you can possibly get so that if one gets tabled or falls through, you have other opportunities. We've all been in the creative business for more than 20 years and love almost everything about it. But we have to admit, there are times when it's a shit show. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the ups and downs of the design and marketing business, lessons we've learned, and share ideas and support that gets us all through the day. Sometimes we'll just shoot the shit. So welcome to the Creative Shit Show. For the past 35 years, Elise Bennon has made it her business to teach basic business skills, that is mindset, money, and marketing, to creative professionals and solopreneurs who should have learned this in high school, but didn't because it's not taught in high school. This has for years perpetuated a starving artist mentality among creative professionals who are naturally talented and could easily bring their creativity to the business side of their business, if only they knew how. That's the mission that she's on with all of her work through marketingmentor.com, including the simplest marketing plan, the Marketing Mentor Podcast, seven books, including the Creative Professional's Guide to Money, multiple online courses for Creative Live and Dominisca.org, plus so much more. At last, we get to welcome Elise Bennon to the Creative Shit Show. <laughs> Thank you. It's lovely to be here, y'all, with you. Now, we're, we're thrilled that you're here. You should have been on way earlier, but we wanted to save Agreed. you for a really great spot at the beginning of what I always feel like is the new year in business with mm -hmm. right after Labor Day. So welcome. Thank Yay. you. It's a good time to talk about pricing, which is mm -hmm. something that Elise and Karen and I have had rigorous conversations about through the years, and thank you for being generous and inviting us to do some speaking with you and be on your podcast, too. It was a pleasure, but I always like talking about money and pricing. A lot of creatives do not, and my question for you would be, why do you think that is? Well, I mean, first of all, in the culture, I think we're taught, at least the American culture, and I have this from people in the Middle East who think Americans are really weird because we don't talk about money, and I'm sure others, you know, as well. But I think in the culture, we are taught it's not polite, it's not nice, it's taboo. And so just as a foundation, I think we don't bring it up. But as self-employed professionals, whether you're running a design firm or even employed creative professionals, I think it is important to bring it out into the open. And when I speak to groups, especially, and we're talking about money, I encourage them, like, at the event, talk to each other, share the information, because as soon as we start sharing the information, then it becomes a little less taboo and become, become more comfortable. And I like to say, I want you to love talking about money as much as I love talking about money. And lately I've been saying, and do it with a twinkle in your eye. <laughs> <laughs> the Santa Claus of money. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I always feel like money is the this thing we have to do versus what we want to do as creatives. I think that there's always that fear that, oh, maybe I won't get the job if I charge 
you know, a certain amount of money or, you know, things like that. So what are your thoughts on the you know, hourly rate, for example? We've talked about this before, especially you and Jamie and I. Should it be hourly or should it be per project? What's the best approach to even think about money when you're dealing with a proposal in front of you, when you know that you're up against three or four different firms? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say about the feeling bad about it and feeling bad about, well, if I charge too much, I'm not going to get the project or the client, you can't need it. Mm -hmm. uh, lately, I've been saying you don't need anyone, you need everyone. Right. Which is not to say you don't need anyone, right? You don't need any one project to come through, client to come through. You need as many irons in the fire as you can possibly get so that if one gets tabled or falls through, you have other opportunities. And so the desperation that comes through when you're counting on any one, I think is part of what makes us feel like we can't charge what we want to charge, what we need to charge. Right. Because often the clients don't want to pay. It has nothing to do with what you're worth. I really try to get that idea of what I'm worth or what the work is worth out of the picture. What matters is the value that you bring to the table to the project, and how does that align with what the client feels is the value they're getting out of a particular project or effort? If those two things are not in line, if you don't know how they value what you're going to do, then you're probably going to come up with the wrong price, whether it's mm -hmm. hourly or by project. Right. I've been thinking about and hearing more and more as I'm reading and listening to different podcasts is that you really need to have a diverse set of income streams and, and or clients. To me, it's the same way you think about investments. You need to have a diverse portfolio and you need to have a diverse number of clients so that no one client is that important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there are some formulas out there. I've heard and believe that at least 25 percent, like no more than 25% of your income should come from any one source, basically, mm -hmm. a source that could disappear at any moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I had dinner last night with some friends who were offered to buy an agency. And so I said, all right, let's talk about numbers, right? Because why would you in the world want to be a part of an agency if it's not profitable, has a lot of debt, whatever else. So I didn't have a lot of debt. They were telling me that they bill hourly, which we can de debate that um, point of view. Like for me, I think an hourly rate um, is really what you use to measure your profitability based on the hours put into a job. And again, at least I know you have an opinion on that. So please jump in there. But they had no understanding. And, and this is another part of our industry that that um, is mind boggling to me sometimes. They had no uh, understanding of either their studio's utilization or their profit margin opportunity. Wow. So I'm just like, how in the world would you decide to buy an agency? You have no idea if you're profitable. And they're like, well, we make X amount of money and it costs us much to run the firm. And I, 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 I get that, but like they had no historical data. And so I think it's so true that in the industry, it's taboo to talk about um, money, but I don't get it because we're in business. Right. So let's talk about it and share best practices. And so 
we sat there and talked about how to figure out profit margin, all that sort of thing. So have you found when you talk to agencies of any age that this is a common thread of either being shy about money or fear based about money or, you know, it feels to me that's more the common than the opposite. Well, what I see is a belief, a myth, I think, that if you're creative, then you're not a business person. And if you're a business person, you're not creative. And that those two things somehow taint or corrupt each other. I don't believe that's true. I think if we bring our creativity into the business side of our business, it will feed us so much better and more. So I think that's one problem. There was another issue that actually came up on a call with a client earlier today. And it made me think that because numbers are liberating. Mm -hmm. Numbers will free you. When you see how much time you really spent on a project versus how much money you actually charged for it, you will never charge that again if you remember. And some people don't remember. But I was thinking that there's such a psychological layer to the whole pricing thing and the money thing. And sometimes people seem to prefer the mental burden of not knowing and imagining, worst case scenario, usually, that they don't focus on the numbers or the data, which could free them. And then Mm -hmm. therefore spend a lot of extra waste, a lot of extra energy and time worrying about things there's no reason to worry about. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. In theory, it sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) But then what happens in practice then? In the moment, what happens? Yeah, you just kind of, it's almost like you talk yourself out of it for some reason. I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know what it is. I feel less bad than I used to, but I almost feel bad because I like my clients and I feel bad. It's like I'm taking from them. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And then Mm -hmm. it's like, but you're giving them something. I don't know. That's, I think it's because in corporate America, you know, I had a paycheck. I went to work every day. I did my job and it was just answering everything from answering the phone to, you know, anything I did between hours of eight and five or whatever was part of my, my paycheck. So I didn't really quantify all the extra things I was doing through the day. And then when you go off and you have your own business, you kind of just like, um, you have to think about that stuff, all the stuff that takes time, all the extra things that take time and all the things that take time to do the good creative work that you're doing for your clients. So you're, they're not taking from you. You're you're giving them something and then you're getting paid for the things that you're doing. I don't know why it, so it sounds so easy, but when you sit down and write a quote, it's like, oh, you know? Well, let me ask a question. At least you answer this too, even for your business. Let's say the three of us go back in time right? And look at a particular service that we still do and look at what we charge then to what we charge now. But I, I had, I just had this experience and I could not believe how little I charged them. I was like, oh my gosh, that was basically a freebie. Do you guys think if you went back three years and looked at your pricing, that you'd be like, whoa, I didn't charge nearly enough and I have the confidence now to charge more. And if that's the case, why is that the case? Well, let me go first. Because I would push back on the idea of you need confidence to charge more. I think you need courage instead to charge more. And you Mm -hmm. need experience usually. And part of why early on people don't feel comfortable or confident 
charging more is because they feel like they don't have the experience. But sometimes past experience, especially people who are starting something new and a new chapter in their lives, and that's happening more and more lately. I mean, I would say, Jamie, for you, that is what happened. So -hmm. then you bring all of that experience of your previous career or chapter to bear on the work that you do, even if you have never done the particular thing you're doing for a new client. But that confidence should be borne out in the project and in the pricing of this new thing. So that's just a little quibble. I always, I always thought it was ironic that most of our clients are businesses and we're trying to equip them to, uh, to be successful. And the more money they make based off of the marketing, the, the design, whatever projects we're working on uh, to facilitate that, that's always like our end goal, essentially, of all of our creative work. But yet, and some of that, at times, like I have one client where I branded three of his companies and he sold all three of them and he's become a multimillionaire, but I have yet to meet, I take that back. I just met my first creative who ran his own business and he sold it. It was a marketing firm in Portland and now he's getting a yacht built in Argentina and I'm branding it for him. That shows him you know, that was the first time I've ever seen that, though, but I always thought it was ironic that the industry that helps other people build, kind of build their dream or facilitate their success struggles themselves with doing it in their own regard. Yeah, and you should be getting a piece of those branding projects, basically, right? A piece of the company should be negotiated into those contracts, in my opinion. Yeah, that, and I've done that with that client. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let me qualify this too. I think part of it was all things being equal, right? Like obviously adjusting prices for you know, the, the time and, or the economy or whatever else. I, my point was, um, obviously I, th- I feel I'm better than I was three years ago, but in essence, what we were giving to our client had, you know, um, value. at least equal to value, right. Of what we're doing. And I think that, um, you know, to any of our listeners, I encourage them to what you said is to have the courage to look at the value you bring into your clients and really understand the economics behind it. Because quite honestly, who doesn't want to get paid more, have more margin and be able to spend a little bit more time on work? I, I, I can't, I, I can't imagine a creative that would say, I, I don't want that. Right. And no. so I just wish I would have had more courage when I was younger in my career. So, and actually I have a thought there, Justin, because you may not know anyone in a conversation with a prospect or even with a client that you've worked with in the past, you may not be aware and they may not have shared with you what the value is of what you're doing for them. And so essentially, again, from a psychological perspective, you're just making up what you think the value might be. And if you're not feeling very good that day, you might make up a much lower number than on a day when you are feeling good. And so it's very, you know, ephemeral. But um, there are strategies and questions you can ask and things you can put on the table in a money conversation, right? When you say, as you did to your dinner partners, well, let's talk about the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. That's a perfectly reasonable thing to say to a prospect. Let's talk about the numbers. And I'm actually these days 
recommending people don't ask what's your budget anymore. Like, because if they say, we don't know, then you back off and you should not back off. You need a number in that conversation. So instead of asking, what is your budget? I suggest, are you talking about 500, 5,000 or 50,000? right? Or 5,000, 50,000 or 500,000, whatever the absurd range is. But the, that question is designed to help gauge the value that they ascribe to the project. These are not your prices at all. And the absurd range proves that. So mm -hmm. if you say 500, 5,000, 50,000, they'll say, well, this is worth this to us approximately. That's a great way to get that conversation started. I feel like I've been on the receiving end of that question before. <laughs> and it's it does kind of it's kind of like, oh no. I mean, it, it first you laugh and then you do answer the question. So, you know, you'd like to think that if these are people you're trying to build partnerships with, there's no reason for you to play games and hide, you know, hide the budget <laughs> game. Right. That's not a fun game at all. But I do like that approach. I think it's a good way to get the conversation started. And I find that if you do ask, what's your budget, I'm always surprised how many clients say they don't know. And then you usually have to say, well, is it 500? Is it 50,000? Is it, that? Mm -hmm. you know, get them to, you have to dig. Because mm -hmm. if you ask them, what's the budget? They have no clue. You know, whether they might have in their head, well, I want to spend this much money. I think they're almost embarrassed half the time mm. to go there because they also don't want to embarrass us with some ridiculous right. number. Sometimes you just don't know. I mean, sometimes you really don't know. Like when I was young in my career, I, I didn't know what things were worth. And so I didn't really understand, I guess, what's my budget for this project versus what's my overall marketing budget and how do I see this fitting in? Because I had certain delegated responsibilities. So I think, Karen, and you and I always talk about this. I mean, getting with the decision maker is half the battle. You know, mm -hmm. having that conversation with the person who can actually make a decision is is so important because early in my career, I was not that person. So I was constantly having to like field the request take it back, you know, get the feedback, then come back, ask the question. So I was more like an errand, you know, almost like an errand boy or a messenger, you know, person. But after a while, I started being like, okay, this is in the $5,000 range. This should cost around this, you know, I started getting more confident in my role. But yeah, I, you're right. I mean, a lot of times they don't know because they don't know. They don't even know what it's worth because sometimes they never even thought about it at all, you know, or it's a really cerebral project that they, you know, that came to them from the desk of the CEO and they're like, I don't know what this is, but can you do it? Right, you know, right. and I don't know what the budget is. Okay. Um, no. I, I have a question I want to ask you and it's, it came about because a friend of mine, he had a form on his site and he forwarded a few projects to me that he couldn't work on. And so I noticed this pre-formatted form from his site, and it would let them decide what budget. It didn't even say budget. It said, you pick what project you need. And, and then he had his form set up for specific projects or this much. And, and I was kind of like, I'd never done that on my own site. And so I adapted that to my site and, 
I'm kind of surprised how well it's worked, but it also kind of vets out what I would call grinder clients who they don't like even the minimum, so they don't even bother to fill it out. Right. So what do you think of that approach? Yeah. I mean, it's brilliant, right? It's necessary. Its goal is to weed out the bad prospects. And I think it also communicates in a very subtle way what your minimum is mm-hmm. without you having to say, my minimum is $5,000 or anything like that, right? And so I do think it makes a lot of sense. It's very different from putting pricing on your website. It's yeah. similar yet different, right? It doesn't lock you into anything. It just says, here are our ranges. And it definitely weeds people out. But I have a question because I'm actually looking at your form right now, Vaughn. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, let me see what this is. And do you find that they can, for example, go in and pick, for example, packaging design and then say, well, we have five to $10,000. You know, there's no parameters, but it's just a range. It's just a range. Just to and get an idea. Yeah. And then, like, I had somebody, they had a project, and that's the one, that's the range they picked. And, and so when I quote it, I sent them a quote because that doesn't mean it's automatically going to gravitate to 10,000. What they described is, you know, whatever they put in in more information section, it's like, tells me that, you know, this is probably going to range around four or $5,000. You know, mm-hmm. it might even be less than 5000 so I, I always set what that is when I provide the quote. And you send a quote without a conversation? No, I have a conversation after I receive the form. I yeah. see. Okay. Okay. Then that's really cool. I can see <laughs> I approve. We're going to steal that. <laughs> I know. I was like, I approve. Yeah, that's, uh, that's when I asked my friend Brian. I said, can I steal this idea? And right. He said, sure. So. Thank yeah, you, that's Brian. Really cool. We're totally stealing it. I know a few other people who do it anyway, so it's not just Brian's. How do you manage a conversation that goes off the rails when it, when you're talking about budgets and finances with clients? I mean, one of the things I want to talk to you about is sort of that conflict management, because when you are talking about monies, it can be challenging to have that conversation, especially when someone's, you know, it could be a long-term client that, that can be difficult about it, or it can be a brand new person, you know, I'm not really looking for red flags. I'm more just wondering, you know, when, when conflicts arise or you can't come to terms, you know, um, cause you think you're worth more or they think, you know, vice versa, how do you get out of that situation? What's, you know, in practice, you know, in a general way, I know we're not being specific and no, there's no client we're having this problem with. <laughs> I'm like, who is something I don't know about? Just something I was, I thought our listeners might be interested in because conflict is another part of being creative. I think that's hard for a lot of people. Well, it's so interesting, Jamie, because first of all, I'm just preparing for Monday to present on Monday, a brand new topic, piece of content about setting the right expectations through clear communication to manage and avoid conflict. Yep. It's like I knew I'm clairvoyant. You must. Right. Yeah. Jamie and I have this conversation a lot because the more we can control the situation up front and on our end, the less conflict we have. And 
the customers get very used to us guiding the process versus Mm -hmm. them guiding the process. You know, even though they might want something now, 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 it's like, okay, we're, we'll take a look at this and we're meeting then and we'll get back to you then. It's, you know, and just have to be kind of real, really grown up and firm about it. Yeah, no, I mean, the clients are sometimes like children and they Mm -hmm. want what they want when they want it. And you have to say, sorry, sweetie, but you can't have that. Right. <laughs> so what what would you say are like the, I don't know, a number, like not top 10 list, but top five things that you need to communicate clearly about upfront before any work's done? You're going to give away our whole class. That's all right. <laughs> I can, but I have to get, I'll just go get the list. But um, first I want to make a point about conflict. What is conflict and what isn't conflict? Mm-hmm. Because... First of all, the money conversation is not by its nature a confrontation. Mm -hmm. And I think often people imagine it as such and Mm -hmm. therefore avoid it. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to go in comfortable with a twinkle in your eye and knowing it's not necessarily going to be a confrontation. It's just a conversation. And if you feel genuinely like, I don't need this, I can walk away at any moment, then you will do that more readily. Then I would make a distinction between what I think of as friction and conflict, because we all, in my opinion, have this tendency to be drama queens. And so we immediately, (laughs) Justin's shaking his head. (laughs) Maybe you especially, Justin. (laughs) Benefit benefit of knowing me right there. There you go. Right. But we automatically go to this like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's a conflict that we're not ever going to be able to resolve. And I think friction is a really good thing. Friction is tension. It's discomfort. And if you can work through friction in any relationship, it strengthens the bond. Mm -hmm. So I would not avoid friction. We want to avoid conflict. And conflict, I think, is when friction escalates into a situation where everyone becomes defensive and starts defending themselves and therefore can't find a middle ground or compromise. Mm-hmm. That's so yep. true. That's so yep. good. It is I good. knew you'd have the right answer. <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot. You lately. should do it. You should do a paper or something about this. Or a presentation. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. That's right. At so, least but, together, really good courses, though. Honestly, I mean, really good courses, really good resources and materials. Thank you. Yeah, but so then going back to Vaughn's question, would you ask it again, Vaughn? Let's say somebody's filled out your form on the website. You've received their emails. Well, what what would be the the first steps in terms of clearly communicating? So as you move forward into a project, you you can avoid conflict. Yeah. I mean, there are a few things where I think the friction that potentially escalates into conflict comes up generally around. So time, money and process and maybe part of process is deliverables, right? What they're going to get because there are miscommunications that escalate into conflict about, oh, wait, I thought I was getting this and you're actually only delivering that. Oh, I thought that was included oh, really? I don't get another round of revisions. I have to pay more if you're going to change it again. I mean, this is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. So there's that, right? And then 
coupled with that really is how long things take, how long you want them to take, which is wishful thinking, versus how long they really take, which is reality, versus how long they should take, which doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. But don't you think you can avoid those type of conflicts if you are very clear in your quote or your estimate as far as very specific, very specific in how the plan, how it's going to roll out, including a timeline. Only if they read it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but you know, what we have is uh, Jamie and I both use harvest and before we start a project, they have to sign it. And yeah, but they don't if it's a larger, read it. If it's a larger it. pro- proposal, then we also have them sign that too. And we kind of, yeah, no, you know, and I've seen courts where there's like actual, just like a legal thing where you have to initialize. Yeah. We haven't done that yet, but I like that idea. Yes. But, and I think that's good. It's all on the right track, but it, it doesn't avoid the need to say in real time, perhaps more than once, Mm -hmm. this is what we've just agreed to. This is how much time it's going to take. This is how many, oh, we're on the last revision. So just so you know, the next Mm -hmm. one, there's going to be money involved. And money is a boundary, right? Mm -hmm. Money can be used as a boundary to say, after we cross this boundary, there's money involved. Mm -hmm. And magically, sometimes that makes everything go away and everything is fine now and we don't have any more changes. Right. Yeah, I would say there's three things that we did that I think have been game changers. One, similar to uh, Karen and Jamie, we ask everyone before they sign, they can't sign our proposal until they read our terms and, and look at our schedule. They mm-hmm. sign off and acknowledge that. And then we repeat it again in the kickoff. But I think the biggest thing has been we started numbering our revisions. So we say, hey, we have three revisions. This is one of three, two of three, three of three. And that has led to the third thing, which is when we get to the third revision, we talk about what that means. Say, hey, here's what it is. You know, if 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 you sign off on this, then, you know, we're good, blah, blah, blah. If not, here's the options. And that has reduced so much static and, and friction, yep, to where it's actually had our clients be more thoughtful about their feedback. And- that's been you're really training helpful. them. Yeah. yeah you're training exactly. them. You need to train them. It yeah. reminds me of the Van Halen would always put in their contract, they need a bowl of blue M&Ms yeah. in their room. And that just told them that somebody actually read through everything. Interesting. Yeah. We need to remember that. It's amazing. Vaughn, what would be on your speaker writer? Yeah. Mine would be only pink, good and plenties in a bowl. Questions <laughs> would be, you will address me as Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I might have more than one. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I love that. I mean, because any of those times where you can reduce friction early on would like, you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about today was what we posted on social media, you know, as part of the conversation is how to keep clients from running. And I love it how you added and ruining your life. And you said it um, better. You said how to keep shitty clients from running and ruining your life. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we're all seasoned veterans here of dealing with, you know, crappy situations. But for some of the younger people that might be listening to this show, what are some of those, you know, coachable moments that you might give them? Well, 
I'm thinking of a, a client of mine who has just gone out on his own after years and years of working for someone else and whose focus is on his skills. He's most worried about not doing a good job and making mistakes mm -hmm. at the expense of the communication. And to me, the communication is really the foundation of everything. And the clearer it can be, the fewer moments of friction and conflict you will have. And so that means over-communicating, basically, because often people are, they don't want to bother their clients. They don't want to appear to be harassing them. They don't want to nudge them. No, no. They need you to be a shepherd of their mm -hmm. project, basically. Right. I always use my dog, who is a border collie, as the metaphor here. Right. She's over there in the window, I think. <laughs> She's so cute. Right. And like you need to be the shepherd. You need to corral everything yeah, so that 100%. it gets done on your timeline and on their timeline. So I think just setting the right expectations. We haven't talked about time, but that's one of them that you really you can't control how long things take. And there will always be unexpected things. So you have to integrate cushion for time mm -hmm. and money in a proposal and even let them know. we. This is why we have a range. It's $3,500 to $5,000 because there are going to be unexpected things that happen and we're not going to want to come back to you and say, it's going to be extra money, sorry, or it's going to mm -hmm. take extra long. So if you do that in advance, if you plant the seed, if you create a wedge in the door already, it's open and you don't feel like, oh my God, this door, how am I going to get it open? Yep. I have a question and this is kind of goes back to the pricing question. With all of the, I know you have, have had hundreds of clients over time and over the years and, and do you find that there are generational differences in how, in the attitude that people have around money? Are younger people managing this any better than the older generation of people? Or is it just experience that gets you to where you need to go? What are your thoughts on that? I don't see any generational differences. I think the young people are as afraid to talk about money as the older people. Mm -hmm. And I think it is with experience that some, not all, learn how to have that conversation and know that it's really important. I don't know. I don't see generational differences in that. Mm -hmm. I just ask, you know, listening to different podcasts and this generation of 20 and 30 somethings, especially women to me, they really blow me away with their entrepreneurial mindset early on. And there seems to be, they don't have that built in, I'm an employee first mindset. And I think it's really fascinating I in a really good way. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And, you know, that was actually a point I was thinking of as you were talking earlier, that the shift in mindset from employed to self-employed is a huge difference. And mm -hmm. it takes years, basically, to adjust. So, and I Jane do can attest. Like over here, nodding yes, so big. Absolutely. Like, yeah, still going. Yeah. Like, who's the boss here? That to take that stand, like, oh, wait, it's me. I'm the boss here. It's mm -hmm. not the client, right? That takes a while. And it is true that younger people are more, 
it's not that they're more entrepreneurial. I think they have more opportunities to be entrepreneurs and to yes. make money doing whatever as perhaps content creators or something mm -hmm. like that earlier on. So I do think that that gives them that platform to practice and experiment with this sooner than some of us. Plus, they perhaps don't have as much ingrained in them of the employee mindset to mm -hmm. unlearn. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. So many young people, their goal is to not go out and get a job. Right. <laughs> their goal <laughs> sure. is to figure out how to do something that they really want to do and that's going to make them happy. I think they're more creative in figuring out ways to do that. But like you said, there's so many more opportunities yeah. than there were when we all were graduating from college. Back in my day. <laughs> Which, you know. That, that includes you too, Jane. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we didn't have this social media stuff. Karen didn't have much going on in Walnut Grove. <laughs> She's a little troublemaker over there. <laughs> I was always a troublemaker. <laughs> Still. Always. Yeah, I just think it, I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating to watch. But yet they started out so young without having jobs, then you don't get the experience, um, built-in yeah. experience. Right. And, and you actually, don't build really good solid professional network. Networking. Yeah. And I mean, I lived off of networking and knowing people, that's not something that people that haven't had jobs and professional situations, they're never going to have that. So that I think is going to end up being a real challenge for them. But the other thing I would add is that people who don't have opportunities to work in a what I call a J-O-B, basically, mm -hmm. yes, there are lots of opportunities to create stuff, right? To be a creator, Mm -hmm. But then the focus is on you and what you create. And I think success comes to people who are focused on the market and giving the market what it's looking for. And sometimes those two things align. But I've seen young people who have too many ideas and like, I could do this, I could do that, I could do that. And my advice is always, but what does the market want? What is the market willing to pay for? How much do you need to earn? And which market will pay you to do that? Because if those two things don't align, then you're just going to be a person with a lot of ideas. Right. You know, there there's something to be said for having a seat at the table, whether you're an employee or whether you're a consultant going in and what you can learn from sitting at that table and having a voice at that table. It yeah. changes that. It changes everything. And I think that without having that business experience, it's going to be that much harder to grow your business and consult on a business level. So there's a difference. There's that difference of being a creative and being a creator and being a creative that has a business mindset that can then coach your clients and guide your clients to have real strategic decisions. Well, not everybody also, not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur. No, and not everybody wants to yeah, be I mean, that. It kind of freaks me out sometimes when I see just how many people, you know, are like, oh, I'm just going to go work for myself then, or I'm just going to go do this then, or I'm just going to go do that then because I can't do, I don't want to work for anybody else anymore. And 
that sounds awesome. But then when you go to sit down at your desk to get started, I mean, it is hard. And, and we always say on the show, you know, make your mistakes for somebody else. I think there's something to be said for starting your career, having a job and and a traditional job, you know, and, and learning under somebody else who's been doing it and has done it. And then you take your skill set and and you hone it. I mean, that's not true for everybody. There's lots of young you know, entrepreneurs who make tons of money, but there's also a lot of people who think it's easy to be an entrepreneur. And it's, I'm here to tell you, <laughs> it's not, right. not easy. I mean, there are, there are days that end in complete frustration and tears where I say, is this really the right thing for me? Not so much since I joined up with Karen, but I mean, there are days where I, I thought I made a huge mistake, you know? I'll, I'll admit something here on air. I think you you hit on something that resonated with me a lot. It was about overly communicate that that's not a bad thing. And I've always, I've always had a hang up about that. Like, well, they know I already told them, so I don't want to bug them. But I think that's what's caused a lot of problems for me. Ironically, right before I jumped on here, I sent an email because I was waiting for feedback from a client and I said, Hey, not, to push you, you know, which I probably shouldn't even have said that. I said, but um, just following up, let me know next steps so we can keep moving forward. But I always feel like I'm bugging him when I'm doing that. But I think you're right. He didn't get offended by that. So, but it just, it's something that I get hung up with, but yeah. So I appreciate that insight. No, thank you. I, it's good to know also what strikes a chord with people. And I think instead of, I don't mean to push you, you should say, you should preface with, I'm going to push you now because. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know Jamie's great at that part of it. Mm-hmm. I just, I love it. I'm because I, then I don't have to. Thank you, Karen. I mean, I appreciate that. One of, I mean, that's my background for one. Some people are just, that's naturally how you are, mm-hmm. but also, I think one thing that Karen did for our business, maybe as in the last two years, is really making sure that we put a, in a line item in the budget for project management. And I will tell you something that motivates me a, a lot more sometimes because I feel as though then it's a responsibility, it's part of the contract, and I'm giving value to the client, right? And it almost justifies the nagging because you're I like, like that, well, Jamie. you're paying me to do this to you, you know, and then you, and then you just kind of get in the mindset, but it does make it more fun to be able to, you know, get paid to nag people. God, what a dream job. Got. <laughs> I, I think that feels a lot like our earlier conversation about money, right? Like why should we feel shy about getting from our clients uh, what we need to do a job at a high level? So that's fantastic. You guys have that. That's, that's brilliant. At least we're getting to the end here. So in tradition of the creative shit show, we want to ask you, would you share with us a shit show moment of of your own? Hmm. Well, what comes to mind is a rookie mistake I made recently after 35 years. I love it. Um, I'm already locked in. I'm in. I'm ready. It's juicy. And actually, a few of you were in the room actually when it happened. Oh, no. Yes. I was at an event and I gave a talk. And when I got off the stage, someone was so excited about what I had said and came up to me and said, oh, my God, you need to come to our group and give this talk. And I asked a few questions, but not enough. And then she said, well, how much would you charge? And I just blurted out a number and it was too low. 
And then when I had the conversation about what they actually needed and when it was happening and where I would actually be and what it would take to get there, I realized my number was too low. And I recovered, actually, and I ended up negotiating for more. I didn't just eat it. I said, well, then we're going to have to do this, or can we do that? And it worked out fine. I was hoping to say, at least have more courage. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, the thing is, and what I want to say is, even people who've been at it for years and years have these moments in the moment where the shit hits the fan. Right. And we're not thinking clearly and we forgot to do what we tell other people to do. And it happens and it's fine. If that were to happen again, would you recommend? Well, let's have a discussion. Absolutely. You know, I'm so glad you enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to come. But I don't talk about numbers in the moment like this. So let's get on a call and I'll ask you all my questions and then I'll talk about money. Yep. Get the details. Yeah. I only did that once early on in our relationship with Karen and we got off the call and I immediately texted her and I was like, I'm sorry, I fucked up. (laughs) 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 Like I knew immediately by the look on her face, it was a Zoom call and I was like, I should have just kept my mouth shut. Turned out same thing, but I did. I was like, sorry, I'm eating it. Sorry. (laughs) I can see your disappointment. (laughs) I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> she did. She would like. But that's how we learn. Oh, my God. At least we could have you here all day. You're you're the best. And we have to get you back because I don't even think we covered half the questions no. that we have for you. We definitely so. need a part two. Yeah, we I'm need happy you back. To do part, up, part, part two. two. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you Thank for being you. here. Of course. My pleasure. Yes. Yeah. We, we have to do a shitty client episode with you. Oh, my okay. gosh.